This is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer and hello 2020. Hope you all had great New Year's and holidays. We have a great show today. It is uh, with the CEO of Chainlink, Sergey Nazarov, who's joining us again with an advisor to Chainlink, Tom Gonter, who is the founder of DocuSign. DocuSign is a company I've been using for quite some time. I'm sure you have too. If anyone needed to send contracts or anything else of that nature and they wanted to do it electronically and get signed and signatures that way, uh, that has been a company that has been used by many, many millions of people out there. And so it was great to have Tom join us. He's an amazing founder. We talk a lot about the reason why he was so interested in Chainlink. We talk about smart contracts. We talk about how smart contracts can be used by enterprises. We again talk about the Oracle problem and how Chainlink is addressing that. It is such an amazing show, and I'm really, really pleased to have Tom join us. And Sergey obviously, is just a wealth of knowledge on the subject of Oracles and smart contracts. And so remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear an amazing show with Sergey Nazarov, the CEO of Chainlink, and Tom Gonser, the founder of DocuSign. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Sergey Nazarov from... Chainlink, and I have Tom Gonser, the founder of DocuSign, with us today. How are you guys? Great. How are you? <laughs> yeah, doing, doing, well. doing well. Doing very well. So this is really, really nice to do a catch-up with Sergey and now uh, with Tom. Um, as we know, uh, people were listening to our show a few weeks ago. We had an amazing podcast with Sergey where we talked all about Chainlink. We talked about the Oracle problem. We talked about how they were addressing a lot of those problems. Um, and so for those that want to have a very, very deep conversation about Chainlink and about the technological aspects of it, I, I offer you the ability to take a look at that. Um, what we're going to do today, Tom um, is also going to be joining this conversation as well too. And so Tom, as the founder of DocuSign, uh, is something, a platform that I have personally used hundreds of times. It's been a lifesaver. And I'm sure many people who have listened to the show feel the same way too. We'd like to address a few questions to both of you uh, about Chainlink and about the interaction that Tom has um, with uh, everything that's happening there and his insights as a founder of a company that is widely used out there. So Tom, the first question is to you, what was the turning point for you in terms of going beyond just casually hearing about blockchain and smart contracts to actually clicking on a deeper level that there was a real value in blockchain technology, particularly smart contracts? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because I, I probably rewind before most people were talking about blockchain at all because in building DocuSign as a company, we were pushing the envelope around what contracts did, you know, starting in 2002. Um, probably around 2010, I started talking about a concept which we called a cloud document. And the idea was that as we have these documents being executed in the cloud, not actually ever becoming paper, not actually becoming downloaded on anybody's computer, um, but these, these documents were fundamentally connected to the identities of the people in the agreement and fundamentally connected to the data they governed, 
um, and fundamentally connected connected to the payments they might be managing. And so when I first started sort of seeing smart contracts come into the mainstream conversation, I related to it directly with something we had been thinking about already. Um, obviously, the you know, distributed ledger um, smart contract theory was much broader than what we were thinking about. But um, if you kind of roll that forward a little bit, we did a demo, Visa demo, sort of an Ethereum connected to DocuSign connected to Visa demo um, in money 2020, where the, the concept was a, a lease of a car, getting a lease completed and insurance completed would then unlock the car and make it go. And it was a purely theoretical, but sort of pointing where we thought smart contracts could go. And we got so much interest at that show. A lot of customers actually thought it was a product they could start looking at buying. Um, so at that point, I got a really good sense that solving this problem from a business perspective has a lot of, a lot of power to it. Well, as someone who has rented a car and leased a car before, if that could ever come to fruition, I'd be the first one to sign up for that. So <laughs> let, let me know about that. Um, and so this, the second question goes to the both of you. So how do you see the intersection between centralized enterprise systems and decentralized blockchain systems? Meaning, can they be compatible with one another? We've talked a lot about this marriage of centralized and decentralized. We've talked about the trilemma. Um, are we actually really decentralized? Are we getting there? Um, can they each specialize in certain functions or are they anti-theoretical? Uh, yeah, sure. Glad, um, glad, to, um, glad to look at this question. So I, I think... I think the reality is that there's a large amount of enterprise backends that currently govern and control a lot of value. And there's a lot of people that are trained on using them. And there's a lot of interfaces that employees of banks and insurance companies are used to using. And reteaching all of these people to use a different interface or a different process or, or, or a largely different backend infrastructure is going to be very difficult. And it's why you have banks that still run on um, COBOL servers. Now, now it can, it can all be done. And, and certain companies that make a really, really great product, um, you know, like DocuSign and others, they're, they're able to do this. But I, I, th I think what it comes down to is that there's a lot of enterprise backend systems that people interact with. And those backend enterprise systems basically need to be made compatible with blockchains. And, and the way to make them compatible is, is through a middleware. So the, the, approach, the approach that we have to this is we basically say, uh, I mean, this is, this is uh, an, exa an example of this is what we've done with, with Swift messages and what we've done with, with, um, with other existing standards where what, what you basically have is you have a backend system that functions using XML or functions using some kind of um, some kind of existing existing data standard, and then you 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 have a, basically a middleware, but in our case, a secure middleware that converts what's go what what the backend event is into a blockchain event, and then you allow the backend system to also get a response from the blockchain, and and what this does is it allows people to keep their current systems, but it allows those systems to interact with an entirely new piece of infrastructure, which is these blockchain-based um, smart contracts. Right. 
And so we've talked a lot about interoperability. And Tom, I would love you to opine on the same question as someone who's been a founder of a company in the space. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about this notion of interoperability. Can we marry the legacy to this new world, Web 3.0, whatever people are calling it today? Can you marry non-blockchain assets, if you will, that could be data, that could be documents, that could be any sort of multitude of things with the blockchain, which is obviously supposed to be distributed and decentralized to its legacy, you know, kind of parent, which is not necessarily distributed and decentralized. Not everyone has the same copy of the ledger. How do you think about the intersection here? How do you think about this marriage between centralized and decentralized systems? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I, I, I think that's how technology advances happen. They don't, you don't snap your fingers and everybody jumps off, you know, decades old infrastructure to the new thing. What happens is on the peripheral where, where a bank could be using a platform like DocuSign and the contract technology needs access to good data, I can very much see those systems getting reliable information from a network of oracles. Um, but still being on its own closed system. Um, I can see that evolving over time where you start publishing things like we did in our demo in 2015 out to distributed ledger. Um, but I, I think it's going to be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a series of baby steps and it will follow the business impact that it has. So, you know, it, it will be a, a realization that, you know, you know, if a contract can be automatically followed up on automatically executed, even if it is in a closed system, um, the business impact of that is tremendous, and people will seek to do that. And when it becomes a when it becomes a point where it becomes a competitive advantage and everybody has to do it, then they'll pour it on even more. Um, we saw this very much with the evolution of of the DocuSign solution from you know our our beginnings to where it is today. And Tom, we'll come back to you in a minute here about um, oracles and some of the data in terms of concerns for enterprises. Sergey, I'd like you to think about this and give us an opinion. So what are your thoughts regarding the security of data-driven smart contracts, whereas there is no human intermediary in between? So we talked about this on the first episode of the Oracle and the Oracle problem. You know, good data going in, making sure that that is validated, making sure that there is you know quality data coming into the system to validate or obviously invalidate a smart contract. So what are your thoughts about the security of data-driven smart contracts that have no human intermediary in between? I mean, I, I think that's really the, the definition of the value of, of our whole space. And I, I, I think that what you're, what you're really trying to achieve in our space is you're trying to take um, some kind of agreement and you're trying to make it extremely efficient and extremely reliable because the systems on which it's executed are more fault-tolerant than both current systems and people combined, right? So what, what, you, what you're trying to achieve is you're, is, is you're trying to achieve an end-to-end -end, um, architecture that's secure and that's efficient. So, so, and it's secure and efficient to the point where it can control billions, trillions of dollars in value. Um, that's, that's the real challenge. So I, I, I think, I think there's certain things that do this, like Bitcoin does this for um, a specific type of uh, contract and a specific type of ownership, and and we can see like what 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 people think that's worth and what they what they what they 
value in a system that's reliable enough to do that. But I, I think the the real the real promise of this whole space is you can write any any digital agreement you want, and that digital agreement can be so reliable and and so data driven that in many cases you you don't need people involved. Partly because if they were involved, there would be more chance for error, and also because it's it's much more efficient, right. and and it's and it's the type of contract that that people could actually rely on. Right. So I, I I think that's pretty much what the whole space is about. And yeah, so I also think I also think that corollary to that is that as things become more and more automated and and happening sort of behind the scenes with no humans in the loop. The identities of the players in the transaction become super important. Those have to be as reliable because you know if payments are going to be made or decisions are going to be made by a system, you just need to be really sure that the outputs and inputs are going to where they want them to be. Because we already have issues today with you know wire fraud and all that that mm-hmm. kind of get, gets in the way. So I think I, it, it increases the, the importance of the whole identity infrastructure wrapping the thing. Yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about reputation and how you actually can assign reputation, you know, vis-a-vis blockchain. Uh, whereas in legacy, you know, Web 1 and 2, you know, certain instances, and I'll use a, a candid one like Yelp, for instance, you know, uh, if you start having a restaurant and all of a sudden it has three stars because people go there and they're not really happy with the service, but then there's biases there. And so, you know, reputation, you know, going to Web 3 and beyond, how you actually can do that for a person, you know, if they're a staker, if they're obviously, they have their compute and they're always operational, et cetera. There's, they're in, you know, we've talked a lot about their reputation on the blockchain side. But one of the things, you know, Tom, you know, as we're talking about, you know, security and we're talking about oracles uh, and, and enterprises, DocuSign, you know, was a platform for people to effectuate contracts, um, kind of the old contracts, you know, as we will. Um, and so, you know, kind of moving forward, you know, in terms of more of the data and the oracles, can oracles help alleviate any concerns for enterprises? Because I'm sure, you know, in the old days, and I say that with air quotes, that people that would sign contracts, even with DocuSign, always would come up with problems. You know, they would say, well, I didn't really want to do that, or I didn't read that, or I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. And so can oracles with that data help alleviate any of those concerns that enterprises might be, you know, having with contracts, you know, especially with smart contracts? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to that question. I mean, whether I read the contract or understood it or not is, you know, one thing. Um, But in terms of the agreement that we had said we would do certain things. um, And Surgeon and I talk about this all the time. You can execute a, a you know multinational agreement on DocuSign signed off by 10 different people with workflow and all sorts of really fancy stuff going on today, super efficient. But actually following up on that agreement and making sure that payments are made and you know things are renewed, things that are kicked off the way the contract stipulates is largely still a manual process. And in order to do that in an automated way, for an enterprise to deploy this, they're going to have to know that if I'm going to rely on, on a, a data source to tell me when my contract needs to disperse funds, I need to know for sure that that's the correct source of information. Um, so, you know, these, these enterprises are, are very security conscious, um, even on internal stuff. So as you start going external, it even raises the bar further. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the impact that oracles are going to have are not just on distributed, 
ledger transactions, I think they're going to have an impact on transactions that happen on platforms like DocuSign as well. I can agree with that. And so going to uh, your involvement with, with Chainlink specifically, what excited you about Oracles and about Chainlink uh, and everything that you've kind of already alluded to, I already get a sense of why you were excited, but what are some of the things when you were, you know, you know, hearing about Chainlink and you started to interact with them, what excited you about what they were doing? I really like the approach they're taking about building this network. Um, you know, I very much believe that a network of developers is capable of building some really amazing stuff um, where a central company that tries to build all of them themselves could just never, they just never reached, ever reach the, the, the depth they would need to. Um, so when Serge and I first started talking about it, he was mentioning, you know, being able to, to get a, a developer network going, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, and I've seen some really good examples where developer networks create massive value for an ecosystem. Um, by distributing the knowledge across the network. So, you know, any developer out there who has knowledge of access to some data source that could be part of a smart contract and decision at some point can actually jump on board and, you know, write that into an Oracle that can then be consumed by this network. Um, and there's, you know, millions and millions of developers who are highly specialized in all sorts of different data sources. So just super jazzed about that approach because I think that one actually scales. Great. And so, Sergey, the next one for you and Tom would love you to opine on this. We already kind of talked about the enterprises out there and about using smart contracts and the oracles that feed them. And so, Sergey, the last time we talked, um, you know, about Chainlink, we talked about some of the use cases. We talked about some of the industries and specifically supply and logistics. We talked about insurance. We talked about some of those out there. So what's the best way, if there are people that are listening from big corporations out there, what is the best way for enterprises to approach smart contracts today? Um, I mean, in, in my experience, enterprises are in a, in a very different position from startups or these crypto native kind of smaller um, smart contract teams where everything that, that the smart contract crypto startup team is building is already built to interact with blockchains from day one. And enterprises are in a different situation, especially multinational ones like banks or insurance companies, where they're consistently being approached to get on five different chains every single day of the week in, in, in all kinds of different geographies. And the difficulty that they have is that it's very difficult for them to understand which of those chains are the or, or consortiums or, or basically environments where they'll be able to conduct commerce which of those environments are gonna be around in a year or two? Which of those environments are gonna have the volume that they wanna do business with? Which of those environments are gonna have counterparties they, they wanna execute transactions with? And the, the big problem is that a lot of these environments are so, um, so early and so new that they're very difficult to understand and there aren't a lot of people that can, can, can even really build um, a good integration for, like I said, their existing systems. So I, I think the thing that we've been seeing with enterprises and the, and the thing that makes a great deal of sense is the ability for an enterprise to become blockchain capable. So what that, what that means is that an enterprise gets a piece of middleware like Chainlink and um, the uniqueness of that middleware is in its security. So because the middleware is essentially controlling um, you know, all kinds of blockchain events that are, that are more or less difficult or sometimes impossible to, to roll back, um, you, you need a middleware that 
controls all those events while providing a lot of security. And at the same time, you want that middleware to be able to provide an enterprise with access to, to all the different blockchain environments that it needs. So I, I think the best approach is, I mean, basically due to the enterprise's need to, 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 do, to do business and, and to engage in transactions in so many different environments, I think the risk-adjusted approach is to, to get a middleware that takes your existing enterprise events in whatever format they um, happen and to have a middleware um, like, like Chainlink convert those events into blockchain events and all the environments you want to conduct commerce in. And then for you to uh, have that middleware also convert whatever's happening in those environments back into enterprise events that your system can understand and process and represent to your thousands of employees who are already going to continue to use the interface you gave them. And I, I think if you get in a position where you can, um, in a very agile and adaptable way, quickly be able to do business in all the environments you need to do business in, then, then that is, in, in my opinion, a, a good risk-adjusted investment in, in this stage of the space's development. Blockchain-enabled, I like that. Um, yeah, my, my, my answer to that would be coming from a different layer. I agree with everything you just said, but my layer would be to start looking at the business process mm -hmm. elements that could be automated today. Um, and if a business is thinking about all of the, the sort of the decision points that they, they handle and those that they may handle slowly or manually and those decision points that could have a data source that potentially could help that happen immediately would be a good, a good target. Um, I met with the DMV of a big state several years ago and they had, they had a process that was paper driven. It was literally the way trucks inbound trucks came in and paid tax based on how heavy they were. And they were six months behind in collecting tax because of their system. And as we went through the process, it was a perfect example of something that could be a literally a smart contract could be created for each truck and they wouldn't be behind at all. It would literally catch them up six months of, 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 of tax collection. So in my mind, that's a, the first step is look, what are those big things that we're doing today poorly because they're they're not automated. And what are those things that could actually be automated in a smart contract that could literally make millions of dollars of difference. And then I think you take Sergi's track and say, let's look at the best platform for that. All right. So as I alluded to, one of the things that everyone has been talking about for a few months now and going into 2020 is adoption. And so you're talking about this already, Tom, so I'd love to get your opinion on this. So adoption of technology, as you know, can be somewhat slow and laborious. And then all of a sudden it can hockey stick and everyone starts using it and everyone doesn't even remember a time they weren't using that set piece of technology. And so you're talking about it right now. And so you know, for those municipalities, for those enterprises, for those companies out there, in terms of adoption of this specific piece of tech, you know, talk to us a little bit about that from your perspective, obviously with DocuSign, you know, not necessarily getting the secret sauce of how long it took for people to kind of take to it, but from your perspective of technology as a founder and a builder, you know, how long do you think it's going to take for, you know, the municipality, the, the enterprise, the company out there to really realize that uh, there is value, that they can save money, obviously, by using this, that they can eliminate risk by using these things. Uh, how long do you think that takes? You know, I don't think there's a, 
there's a quite an answer. How long is a piece of string? I mean, it's going to depend on on exactly which industry it is. I think there's some catalysts though that speed it up. Um, you know, if you look at the adoption of electronic signatures, it first happened in the real estate marketplace because Overnight Express was way too slow. Mm. And if I'm an agent and I'm able to actually get my my agreement signed in five minutes with two signers who are in different parts of the city and you are using facts and it takes you a day, I will win those deals 100% of the time. Yep. And so in that case, the reason it accelerated was because it became a competitive disadvantage not to be doing it. Um, the same thing happened with registered investment advisors. If, if I'm doing a 401k rollover, and I work for four, four or five different banks, and one bank gives me the ability to do this in an afternoon, and the other ones all still take a week. I'm actually just gonna spend all my time focused on the ones that I can do it quickly. And so I think there are the catalysts, and I think that's the, the job of, of businesses that are really cr creating change, is to find those places where this difference actually fundamentally ripples through the, the industry because it, because it becomes a must-have. Um, and I think there are several places where this is going to take place with smart contracts and they've already started in the financial space and gaming and that, but you know, I think you're going to start seeing some big impact in insurance, the process of, of managing insurance claims, um, the escrow function. Um, there are areas where financial transactions happen in real estate trans in real estate transactions and others where there's a massive amount of wire fraud because that process is really old and broken. Um, if you could imagine a smart contract managing that in a secure manner, you could you could probably see a point where transactions happened in context with the transaction as opposed to a separate step and could eliminate a lot of that wire fraud. So th those become places where it becomes a must-have pretty quickly. Well, that answers the question I was going to ask you next and what industries excite you most. So I think we got the answer <laughs> to that. Um, and so... As we're wrapping up, and I want to be cognizant of everyone's time, Sergey, obviously building Chainlink and Tom with everything that you do, you know, we like to get a little bit of insight into our guests um, personally, and uh, Sergey knows this from last time. And Tom, maybe if you can lead us off in, and give us some things that you either have been reading. Uh, there are two things that I typically like to ask guests in terms of inputs. Uh, we're talking obviously about data, and we're talking about smart contracts and oracles, but we as humans put inputs into our brains, into our bodies every day that hopefully make us better, make us think more. So in terms of any books or books or articles that you've read recently that resonated with you, we would love to hear about that. And any music that you listen to while traveling or working, we'd love to hear that. And of course, Sergey, if you have anything to add on that, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well, too. Sure. Well, I've got sort of two, I think, currently that I talk about. Um, I spend a lot of time with early stage technology companies and founding teams and, you know, those people who are doing impossible stuff because it's just the most fun you could possibly have. Um, there's a book called Made to Stick, which talks about communication mm -hmm. and how storytelling and clear communication has a massive impact. It's a fantastic read. Um, too many people talk about the edges of things or just they're not clear about it. And so no one can remember what you said. Um, good book that way. The other is a book by Brad Feld, um, a really good primer for companies looking at um, fundraising uh, called Venture Deals, which is a quick read, but really detailed in terms of, you know, how capital uh, fundraisers are structured, a bunch of different instruments, and just sort of their read on seeing thousands of deals and which ones work and which ones don't. It's a super good good read for folks in that in that industry. 
Awesome. And I have read Chip Heath and I do agree with you. That book is fantastic. Yeah. Any music? You know, it's weird. I'm actually starting to just play some super awesomely low end Zen music when I'm traveling just to try to relax. I do like that. I do like that. Sergey, anything that you've read or music that you're listening to? I know you're very busy with Chainlink these days, but anything that uh, has popped up in the last few weeks since we last spoke? Um, yeah, I think there's there's certain um, there's certain approaches to growing a technology company that I that I think I've been I've been reading a good amount about and um, and talking to people and 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 looking at it in more detail. One of these is. Um, something called objectives and key results. There's a book from John Dewar called measure what matters. Hmm. Um, that's an interesting book. I'm, I'm literally looking at it right now. Uh, so I, I, th I think there's, there's, there's certain very thoughtful views about how you grow a technology company at each stage of its growth. And since we've, we've recently brought on a lot of great people, we've reached a kind of new stage of growth together with all the, the usage we're getting. And, and so at our current stage, we need to implement slightly more internal process and um, create clarity for every every new person coming in about exactly what they'll be working on um, literally in the first week that they're working at the company. And um, so I, I think those are the types of things that I'm that I'm looking at in more detail. And I'm, I'm lucky to have, uh, you know, great advisors, um, Tom and, and others that that give feedback on that. And it's all um, it's all quite uh, quite interesting and uh, and actually very productive when you when you when you do it the right way. Awesome. And so, for those that have not caught the first episode with Sergey, Sergey, is there any place if people are listening to this for the first time where they can learn more about Chainlink and get involved? Sure, sure. You can go to chain.link. That's that's uh, that's a good place to go. Also, our Twitter now seems to be the place where we where we put regular. Um, New content or or updates about you know how people are are, are using oracles and how they're building uh, building smart contracts in general. So um, chain.link or twitter.com/chainlink are are both good places to to look into into us in more detail. Amazing. And so this was Sergey Nazarov, the co-founder and CEO of Chainlink, and congratulations to Sergey on his 2019 CoinDesk. Uh, mentioning a nomination for the most important person this year in crypto and digital assets and blockchains. I think it is very, very well deserved. And Tom Gonter, the founder of DocuSign. Uh, it has been an amazing conversation with you both. And we look forward to hearing more from Chainlink and everyone there at the team over the next year to see how you are progressing. And thank you guys for joining us on the show today. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. 
for additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.